This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee. The U.S. Senate confirms the appointment of Florida Supreme Court Justice Barbara Lagoa to the Federal Appeals Court in Atlanta. That's two promotions for two Florida judges in just two days. Three lawmakers from Central Florida are filing bills to create another one of those specialty license plates so popular in the Sunshine State. This one is all about solar power. Florida's hepatitis A problem is getting larger as the number of confirmed cases exceeds 3,000. The governor wants more money to deal with the disease. Tourism numbers for the third quarter are out, and they're up, but not by much. Our studio guest today is Florida State University law professor Michael Morley, who will be explaining some of the ramifications of a recent federal court ruling in the Florida ballot. We'll also have your calendar of events and two new Florida man stories involving a machete and a Walmart. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, November 21st. The U.S. Senate has approved Florida Supreme Court Justice Barbara Lagoa's appointment to the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, setting the stage for Governor Ron DeSantis to make two more appointments to the state's highest court. Wednesday's vote was 80 to 15 in favor of Lagoa's confirmation. It came one day after the Senate approved the appointment of her Supreme Court benchmate, Robert Luck, to the very same federal court. There are 120 different specialty plates in Florida, covering everything from professional sports teams like the Dolphins and the Jaguars to real-life critters like manatees, sea turtles, and bears. The Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles says there are 1,630,000 of these tags in use today. Now Representatives Margaret Good of Sarasota and Joy Goff Marcel of Maitland have teamed up on a license plate promoting the use of solar energy in Florida. Golf Marcel says it's only logical the Sunshine State would have a solar tag, and they want the money raised by the plate dedicated to training people who work in the industry. We are the Sunshine State, Florida. We should be leading the nation with solar power. Um, we, this is a way to do it. Right now, there's no license plates for any renewable energy, um, and the proceeds from this license plate would go to train people, especially veterans, to um, make solar panels. And we, we think that solar panels is going to be a bleeding job because it's, it's about to explode, this industry, the solar industry. That's what the people want. The people want renewable energy, and now the corporations are getting interested in that, and they're... Um, working to make this a reality. So this license plate would provide a way. It's self-funding, so we don't have to go ask the legislature for more money, which is always hard to find money when you're trying to start something. Um, So it's self-funding, and um, only 10% will go, go towards marketing and administration. The rest of it's going to be going into training people for the installing the solar panels. It's also going to the um, UCF is involved. I believe they're the ones that are going to be doing the setting up the training. Um, some of the money is going towards veteran facilities to make their operating costs much lower. The state added almost 1,800 solar jobs last year, an increase of more than 20%. But if these training and veterans programs are so important, why not just dip into the general revenue fund instead of relying on voluntary fees from a license plate? And if you know how it is trying to get general revenue, it's everyone's asking for a piece of that. So this would be a way to, to 
get it going. Obviously, if, if it takes off, who knows, maybe that will be the next The solar tag is being sponsored in the Senate by Republican Keith Perry of Gainesville, so backers can say it's a bipartisan effort. Our hepatitis problem is getting worse. The News Service of Florida says 51 new cases were reported by the state health department last week. Six in Duval, four in Citrus County leading the way. That brings the statewide total to 3,079 cases of hepatitis A. Pasco, Pinellas, and Volusia counties share the dubious distinction of leading the way. Governor Ron DeSantis has his new budget proposal. He says it includes $14 million to respond to hepatitis and $15 million in funding for HIV and AIDS. Basically what we did, I mean, we, we, we did the, the state emergency for this and I think as we've gotten into different communities I think the Surgeon General will tell you you know you, you you see some improvement but it's like you know you go there then somewhere else goes and so it's it's kind of been like whack-a-mole um, but obviously it's something that we've declared and it's something that, that we think um, you know we're, we're going to continue to work to address so uh, and he's um, been working hard with that so I think the hepatitis is one and then the other thing we're going to be looking to do in terms of public health which um, we're going to have to work with the federal government government with but i've met with the cdc director on this and i've actually talked to secretary azar um, you know we have an ability i think to really work to reduce um, or to treat hiv aids um, if you look around the the country we have um, if you have south florida central florida jackson i mean we have four or five out of the top i think like 20 um, spots here in Florida. So we really believe that if, you know, we're partnering with the federal government, if they're providing us some of these additional resources, you know, that we can go in, educate people, um, because some of this stuff is, you know, they're just not in a system where they can be treated or whatever. Some people, there's social reasons why some won't do it too, but we, we really believe that if we kind of get that out, you'll probably actually see an increase because there'll be more people in the system, but then you can start to drive it down. So I'm hoping, I think this is tied up in like the, the budget stuff in Washington, and obviously having been up there for a time, I mean, I, it, it doesn't look good in terms of what they're doing, but I think this is one thing that probably would have bipartisan support, and I think in Florida, you know, we really could stand to benefit. So I know that um, uh, Secretary Rifkes is very, very much keyed on doing that, and, and I think it's something that we should do as well. Hepatitis A is a highly contagious virus that attacks the liver. It can be fatal, but it can also be treated by vaccinations. Visit Florida reports a 1% increase in the number of tourists visiting the Sunshine State during the third quarter compared to the same time last year, but that's only a slight increase, and it's nowhere near the growth rates of recent years. 31,600,000 people visited the state between July 1st and September 30th. Most of those visitors traveled here from other states, but half a million came from Canada, 2.5 million from overseas. Visit Florida says the state has hosted 101 million tourists so far this year. Next up on Sunrise, we talk with FSU law professor Michael Morley about a federal court ruling that could upend the entire Florida ballot. It won't change the candidates, but it could change the order in which they appear. But first, let's pause for an homage to capitalism. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. 
Have you ever wondered why the ballots in Florida since 1998 have always started with the Republican instead of listing the candidates in alphabetical order? Well, back in 1951, when Democrats were running the show, they decided to basically rig the system by passing a law saying the party that controls the governor's mansion gets first billing on the ballot. I guess they never really figured Republicans would ever take over. Well, being first on the ballot actually matters. Studies have shown it gives the candidate a bump of anywhere from 1% to 5%. And just think for a moment about all the elections in Florida decided by less than 1%. Tallahassee federal judge Mark Walker recently issued a decision saying that old law is unconstitutional because no political party should be able to game the system. Our guest today is FSU law professor Michael Morley. He's here to explain the ramifications of that ruling. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. So what did you make of Mark Walker's decision? It was kind of... Right in your face there. Judge Walker's opinion applied a a balancing test to determine that this law was unconstitutional. What was really remarkable about the opinion is that the balancing test that he used is usually what courts apply to determine whether particular laws are unduly burdensome for voters, right? In order to cast your vote, you have to follow certain rules. You have to follow certain procedures, right? If you show up at the polling place after it closes, they're not going to let you vote. And so usually courts will weigh the magnitude of the burden on voters' rights that a particular law poses against the rationales that the state has for having that policy. And if the burden isn't justified by the state's interest, then the court then the court will strike it down. Here, the ballot act, the, the ballot ordering rule doesn't impose a burden on voters' rights. There's there's no procedure, there's no requirement that voters have to follow. It, it simply is a rule about how candidates are listed on the ballot. So the court's decision to take this constitutional test from determining the validity of burdens on the right to vote and apply it to ballot order is very remarkable and I think something that the 11th Circuit is going to take a very skeptical view of when the case gets appealed. So the whole fair play thing really doesn't matter because of the previous way they've been deciding this? Right. I mean, that 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 gets to the, the heart of the issue. The, the Constitution doesn't empower federal courts to decide for themselves what would be the fairest way to have an election, whether they think particular rules are fair or not. The court's job is to enforce constitutional rights, the due process process clause, the equal protection clause. It's to look for burdens on the right to vote. And rules about what candidate goes first on the ballot don't impact voters' rights. I'll be darned. So would Republicans be right in casting this as a activist judge expanding new horizons in the legal field? Well, it, it, it certainly is a, an unprecedented ruling, right? It, 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 it's, it's trying to stretch the law, trying to apply this balancing framework to an entirely new situation. And like I said, I think I think it's one that the appellate court would would take a very skeptical view of when when the state this, the states announced that it's appealing the ruling. So I think that the that there's a very good chance the Eleventh Circuit will wind up overturning it, because at the end of the day, right. All, all, both political parties, Democrats and Republicans, have been able to take advantage of this law at different points in time. You have to have a ballot order. And so this rule, this law says the rule that we're going to use is whatever party happens to control the governor's office. And so Judge Walker's r- ruling says you have to use a different rule to, to determine ballot order. I'm not going to t- tell you what that rule is. I'm not going to force a particular rule on you. The opinion threw out different possibilities. You had mentioned one listing candidates in alphabetical order, which would 
still give certain candidates right this advantage of having the few extra points. It's just that we would be allocating it based on alphabet rather than based on whichever party got the most votes in the last governor's race. So either way, you're not eliminating the problem. You're rather reallocating it. I see. Now, what about if you're a third party candidate? I mean, you basically don't want either the Democrats or the Republicans to be first. Is, is that a legitimate concern here? So part of this goes back to the the nature of the effect, right? So the, the judge's ruling focused on what's called the primacy effect, which, as you pointed out, is the notion that being listed first on the ballot will le- – all else being equal – will lead to that candidate getting between 1% to 5% extra votes. You tend to see the strongest primacy effect in down ballot races, right? So in a presidential race, right, a Senate race, state U.S. Senate race, statewide races, you see virtually no primacy effect. You tend to see the biggest effect in in races that don't necessarily receive a lot of media coverage, where there isn't a lot of name recognition. You, you see the largest effect in nonpartisan races. So a party primary where people don't have political party affiliation to use as a cue or to use to help them cast their vote. If all you're confronted with is a list of Democrats or a list of Republicans and you're choosing among them, that's where you see the primus, the, the biggest primacy effect. One of the other things that's interesting in the literature, though, is there's also what's known as a recency effect, which is, oddly enough, being listed last on the ballot. If you're the last name the voter sees, some subset of the population doesn't want to bother to go back to the top of the ballot. So they'll, when they get to the bottom, they'll just vote for that candidate. They were looking for none of the above and that just happened to be there. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so you're I I guess you feel pretty strongly this is going to be overturned. I think there's a substantial likelihood of that. All right. So what does that portend for the upcoming election? Basically nothing. So the the most immediate thing to watch for is whether the state seeks what's called a stay, because right now the district court has entered an injunction forcing the state over the upcoming weeks to adopt and to adopt a new ballot order rule. The the state can go to the 11th Circuit and say, look, we're appealing this ruling. While we're handling this appeal, can you please put the judge's order on pause? Can you excuse us? Can you issue a stay so that we don't have to follow this ruling until you, the appellate court, have the opportunity to sort this out? So if the if the 11th Circuit thinks there's a good likelihood that it's going to overturn the ruling, it can issue a stay right now. It can issue a stay up front, which will mean the law, the current law stays in effect. The judge's order is put on pause. And the current law would stay in effect almost certainly through the upcoming election. Okay. Hey, I appreciate your comments on this, Professor. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to Michael Morley on Sunrise. On your calendar of events today, the State Financial Impact Estimating Conference meets in the Knott Building in Tallahassee at 8.30 for a workshop on a proposed ballot that would make it, well, actually harder to pass constitutional amendments. The proposal requires amendments be approved twice by voters before they take effect. The Florida Defense Support Task Force, which works to protect and expand Florida's military bases, is meeting at 9 a.m. in the Renaissance Tampa International Plaza. The Florida International University Board of Trustees will hold a closed session at 9 this morning at FIU's Graham Center to discuss pending litigation. They will then hold an open session to discuss a settlement proposal. The Florida Supreme Court's expected to issue its weekly opinions at 11 this morning. Florida State University President John Thrasher will speak at the Capitol Tiger Bay Club beginning at 11.30 in the Tallahassee Civic Center. USF political science professor Susan McManus will speak to the Tiger Bay Club of Polk County starting at 1130 in the Bartow Civic Center. 
The Florida Department of Transportation will hold a meeting in Bay County about structural issues related to the DuPont Bridge, which is over the intercoastal waterway connecting Tyndall Air Force Base with the city of Parker. That starts at 530 at Parker United Methodist Church in Panama City. State Representatives Tommy Gregory of Sarasota and Will Robinson of Bradenton speak to the Sarasota Republican Club at 630 tonight. That's at Marina Jack in Sarasota. And it's time once again to check in with Florida Man, who reminds us each and every day that we live in one of the most special places in the country. A 39-year-old Florida man is jailed after police say he threatened four people with a machete. Investigators say David Robinson was hanging out in a shed with four other people at his home in Lake County when he demanded to know what happened to his missing money. Witnesses say he blocked the entrance, waving the machete in a threatening manner, and said no one would leave until he got his 50 bucks back. A woman dialed 911, and a dispatcher heard Robinson in the background threatening to break her neck and slice her throat. He's charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon with intent to kill, false imprisonment, and resisting arrest. Finally, Pasco County deputies used a taser on a Florida man after he managed to climb into the ceiling of a Walmart in Newport Ritchie and then refused to come down. The store was temporarily evacuated while officers tried to persuade him to get out of the crawl space. When that failed, they zapped him. The suspect, who has not been identified and has yet to be charged with anything, was then sent to a nearby hospital for evaluation. They're trying to figure out if he suffers from any mental illness or was under the influence of drugs or alcohol, or maybe simply he was a typical Florida man. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics.